Before I get to my next guest, Michael Breed, I want to talk to you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Is your driver adjustable? Of course it is. How about your irons? Didn't think so. Adele's new SMS irons give you adjustability in an iron to match your swing. These new irons come with three weights lined up across the back of the club. By moving the heavy weight to the heel, center, or toe location, you can match the club to your swing instead of vice versa. The result? Total control of the club face for more distance and accuracy. Your irons can't do this. Check them out online by going to adelgolf.com. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment? Maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares Toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee, and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is not only one of the very best instructors in our game, but also the host of a couple of the best golf shows on the planet, a new breed of golf and course record, and that's Michael Breed. Let me give you some background on Michael. He's from Greenwich, Connecticut, played his college golf at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia from 1981 to 1985. He was a four-year letterman and was their number one player for three years and team captain his senior season. He won six times during his college career. Michael also played on their baseball team and once pitched back-to-back games, one right-handed and the other left-handed. We'll talk about more about that in a minute. He also played on the varsity tennis team and had a minute on the football team as well. Michael was inducted into their Athletics Hall of Fame in 2004. He went on to play on the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour. Since that time, Michael has soared up the rankings as a golf instructor. In 2003, he was named one of the top 100 instructors in America by Golf Magazine and has remained on that list every year since. In 2012, Golf Digest named him one of their top 50 instructors in America, and now he's inside their top 20. Also in 2012, Michael was named the PGA's National Teacher of the Year. Among his many other awards, he was named the Metropolitan Teacher of the Year in 2000 and 2009. He was the Metropolitan Horton Smith Award winner in 2006 and 7 for being a model of golf education. We've all been watching and listening to Michael help us improve our golf swing since he joined the Golf Channel in 1999. In 2002, Michael put the pilot together for a new breed of golf. Took a minute, but in 2008, that pilot turned into the Golf Fix, which made it on air on Monday nights. I listen to Michael and his co-host Greg Ducharme every morning on my way in to work on a new breed of golf, which you can find on Sirius XM Channel 92. And I'm very thrilled to have Michael back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Michael, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, that I'm telling you, that is, if I if I listen to more introductions like that, I'm going to start to feel pretty good about myself. <laughs> that, was a, that was quite an introduction, my man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Michael. Yeah. So, Michael, <laughs> we have to start by hearing about those back-to-back games you pitched in college. One right-handed, the other left-handed. 
That's unbelievable. But you got to be a baseball manager's dream because you can pitch on zero days rest. <laughs> well, let me tell you. First of all, it wasn't in college. I was I was 11 years old, but I love whatever story you're going to tell. <laughs> so I'm all in. It was, uh, you know, it was at a time when I was trying to figure out whether I was a right-handed pitcher or a left-handed pitcher or a shortstop or second base, and I didn't know what was going on. But I had two gloves, and um, and fortunately it worked out. So yeah, I pitched uh, I pitched a little righty, and then when that kind of didn't work out, I switched over to lefty, and and that worked out a little better. So I got I got it done. So Michael, was your dream as a kid to be a PGA Tour player or shortstop for the Mets? You know what? That's exactly right. My dream was to be a baseball player. That's all I wanted to be. And uh, you know, fortunately for me. Um, I was a, a three-tool player, and I needed to be a five-tool player. And uh, so I, I switched over to golf right when I was literally sort of in the high school, college uh, frame, and um, ended up going to Randolph, making to play a little baseball. And then uh turned out I played a little baseball and a little golf and a little tennis and some football. And you know, I had myself. I, I, I nobody is going to say that I didn't. I didn't enjoy my college time i had a great time played a lot of sports had a lot of fun no question and michael you endowed a fund to the men's golf team there in honor of your coach ted keller talk about what ted meant to you you know i appreciate you bringing that up so um ted keller was was a uh first of all he was um a phenomenal athlete and was a great coach not just of the golf program but also of the football program and and um led my Randolph making yellow jacket to the Newt Rockney Bowl in nineteen sixty nine. By the way, as an aside, the Randolph Making Yellow Jackets basketball team just won the national championship uh, a few months ago, um at the at the uh, division three level. Um Josh Merkel, the, the head coach over there, and I've had the pleasure of talking to the team and and uh adding some some I'll call it wisdom, although it's probably a that that's probably a stretch, but um, I, I have had the opportunity to be a part of, of, uh, Coach Merkel's team and, and talk to some of the kids. The, the athletic programs that Randolph making are phenomenal. And, and Ted Keller, I mean, it all traces back to, to him. He, he was a, a football coach over there and obviously a golf coach and then the athletic director and, and he passed away sort of suddenly. Um, and, you know, I kind of, I, I know what the game has meant to me and I know what Randolph making has meant to me and I, I uh, made it a point to make sure that that I was a part of of the future of of the game um, at the college, and uh, so we endowed a, a scholarship program in his name, and and uh, have continued to be a part of it ever since. Michael, switching gears a little bit, and your positive attitude and demeanor is what hooked many of us on you and your shows years ago, especially as we started to watch you on the golf fix and. But as you know, like social media can be a pretty nasty, negative place. How do you power through and deal with all that, not get caught up in that negativity and all that back and forth that we see too often on social media? You know, it's, I, I appreciate you asked that question, that question, Chris, because one of the things that I look at, I, I'm a golfer, right? So I, 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 and I, I coach people how to play and I always look at what something can be, not what it is. And I know there's a lot of people that have had um, some challenging situations in their life and whatever that may be. Uh, I look at it like it's an opportunity for me to maybe take somebody that is looking at the world through a negative prism and, and try to try to 
maybe alter their mind in one way or another. So, you know, um, it's a, it's, I, I engage in it because I really think I can help in a weird way. Um, and then you get to a point where with some people you can't help and that's just the way it is. And, and you kind of, and I don't want to say I throw a pity party, but I certainly go, look, you know what? I'm sorry. I thought I could, I maybe could help in one way or another. It's not going to work out, but best of luck to you. And I hope you have a great weekend, you know, that type of stuff. Um, but there are other people who, believe it or not, will, will go down that path. I'll ask them to email me. I'll give them a phone call and I'll have a conversation with them. And, and, you know, in, in most situations, I'm able to kind of take them and, Get them to maybe look at something through a different, through a different lens. It's kind of like, and we talk about this a lot on, on, on our shows. It's, there are some coaches that will ridicule a player for what they've done. And then there are other coaches that will say, all right, next time, let's try this instead of doing that that way. Why don't we try to do it this way? So I like to be a next time kind of coach instead of a ridicule coach. And, and I, I look at that in all facets of, of life. And so, you know what? If, if I can help one person, that's that that's great. Michael, we're on the heels of the Travelers Championship played up there in Cromwell, Connecticut, just a little south of Hartford. And you played in the 1994 Greater Hartford Open. You Monday qualified at Lyman Orchards in middle field to shoot yep. 69 to make it into the field. But what was it like for you, not only getting in the field, but then dealing with the pressure of being in a PGA Tour event, plus I'm sure having your friends and family out there following you around for the rounds that you played. You know, it's interesting. Um, so I shot 71 in the final round, which I didn't make the cut, but it was the last round of golf that my dad ever watched play. And he, he, uh, passed of Alzheimer's. And, um, in a, in a weird way, when I kind of look back at, at that now is almost what, 30 years ago. Um, I, I certainly think that there was sort of a script to that. I, 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 um, I can't tell you that I, I mean, I, I would imagine if you went through, uh, Monday, uh, four spotters and, and you kind of looked at it and you went, how many times does, does three under par get in? It's not very often. And, um, I happened to win that qualifier at three under and not that it wasn't a good field, but, um, you know, there were tricky hole locations and, and things of that nature. And what I can tell you is, is that when I reflect back on that time, it was a, an amazing experience for me and certainly one that you know, having played some events on the, on the corn ferry tour and having a little bit of, of, uh, experience at that higher level to get into a tour event and then particularly to get into a, a, a tour event up there, um, you know, in Connecticut, which is my home, uh, my home state, that, that meant a great deal. And, and, uh, it was just, you know, it was one of those, it was one of those things that, um, it was, it was a fabulous experience. I, I, I did not get caught up in the illusion that I was going to be, uh, a touring professional. It was clear many years prior to that that I just didn't have the game that that uh, you need to have to be able to play at that level and certainly make a living doing it. But it was a, a phenomenal experience. And the cool part is is that you know I earned it. It wasn't something that was given to me. I, I went out there, I, I played good, and I had been playing good for a period of time there, and and uh, got in and and enjoyed a a, a phenomenal week. And the other thing that's really interesting about that is in that four spotter, um, one of the individuals that got in, a guy named Jim Gentile, is one of my very close friends and a guy that I had roomed with when I was down in Florida trying to, to, uh, figure out whether I, I was good enough or not some probably seven years earlier. And then one of the other guys that got in was a guy named Brad Frey, 
who I worked with at Birchwood Country Club, he went on to play golf at, at the University of Richmond. And three of the four of us, you know, there was a connection there. And that there was just, it was just one of those sort of, it's like finding a four-leaf clover. You, you know, you kind of look for it, but it rarely shows up. And in this situation, it did. Michael, I want to switch gears and get your thoughts on what we're seeing going on right now with the PGA Tour and Live Golf. It seems like every week we're hearing about another player or two heading over to the Live Tour. This week it's Matthew Wolf, Carlos Ortiz, and Eugenio Chachara, the number two ranked amateur in the world. Many people are talking about the defections being a pure money grab. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, I see Jay Monahan kind of scrambling around making changes doing some things that are looking like some of the things that uh, they're doing over there on the live tour. What are your thoughts about what we're seeing right now? Well, I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think one, it's impossible to compete with, um, a, a $620 billion, um, backing that has no interest of what we would term success, right? Success is much the same way as I explained to you about my playing career. I knew I wasn't going to be able to, to play at the level that I'd be able to make a living on the PGA Tour. And, um, you know, it's expensive. It was expensive to play the Corn Ferry Tour. At my time, it was the, the Ben Hogan Tour. It's an expensive thing to do. And um, the the model that the PGA Tour has is quite a bit different than the model that the Live Tour has. So at that point, you can't really compete no matter what you do. And the PGA Tour, I applaud them for what they're doing in making an effort to try to make the purses somewhat similar. But at the end of the day, there's no way that the PGA Tour is going to be able to pay somebody a $200 million playing bonus or a $150 million playing bonus. You can't do that. And so you can't really compete with that. And for me, when I look at this, it, it you know, I what I love about the game of golf is it's, it's quite simple. The guy who shoots the lowest score wins. And it's pure. There's no relief pitcher. There's no designated hitter. There's no timeout. There's no coach that you can talk with. There's none of that. You go out there and you are the person that is going to pitch. You're playing third base. You play shortstop. You play first base. You play all the positions. You hit all the shots. And so all the pressure is on you. And that's what I love about the game. And then the guy that, that does it the best, the person that does it the best makes the most amount of money. Right, it's a true meritocracy. Well, the Live Tour is not that. Um, I know that the tournaments that they play in, the the you know the purses are are very high, and that is somewhat of meritocracy. Although I would argue that with the team uh, part of it, it's not really. But at the same time, what it what it shows is is that the PGA Tour. I, I look at it this way: somebody's trying to buy golf. Uh, some entity is trying to buy the game of golf. And, and you know what? Um, it can be done. In a weird way, it can be done. And you're seeing it with individuals like Bryson, like Dustin, like Brooks, that are walking away from the PGA Tour um, so that they can uh, somehow make a little bit more money, a lot more money, um, playing the Live Tour. And that, that to me, you know, I'm I'm one of those people, and, and look, I've never been the smartest guy in the world, but I've all I've, I've I've always been a guy that's going to work hard, and I've always felt that if I can outwork 
um, individuals that I can have success, and it's and it's and it's that's the way it's, it's proven to be. And now, when I look at this thing, I I don't look at it through that light anymore. I don't look at it through the light of you know the the best player wins here because that's not necessarily the case. In fact, it's not the case. And Michael, your friend Mark Canizero of the New York Post, he wrote an article not that long ago about how Jay was sort of warned about what Liv had in mind going back to last fall. Some of the players met with him and shared some ideas that may have been able to save this whole thing off, but he rejected their ideas because, as Mark said, the tour's greed and the need to control everything. As more comes out, what are your thoughts? Are we starting to learn that maybe... You know, there's sort of both sides were wrong. You know, I, I'll tell you this, Chris. I'm, I'm. So I, I grew up in a family. My mother was a lawyer. My uncle was a lawyer. My cousin's a lawyer. I, I know the law. Uh, you know, not, not enough to be able to practice it, but enough to be able to know one thing that there's three sides to every story, and, and uh, there's only one that's right. I know enough to know that I don't. I, I there's not a way in the world that I could possibly get into that conversation. I don't know. What I know is this. I know that Jay Monahan is sitting in a in a very difficult situation and he's doing what he needs to do to to try to make sure that the PGA tour stays afloat. That's his that's his hired responsibility. And he's doing the very best he can for the players on the PGA tour. To that end, I look at the players on the PGA tour and they like me have um sponsors, endorsements deals, corporate outings, and all that. And the PGA Tour created those opportunities for the players. They set it up, whether you want to go back to 1969 or 1964 or 1957. I don't care what year you go back to. That was the model. And you see the same thing as you watch, you know, this week is Wimbledon. You see the same thing um, as as well. United States uh, Tennis Association set some, some stuff. And all of a sudden, these players walk around, and they've got logos all over the place, and they're getting paid quite nicely from these people, um, these these sponsors. So I look at it through the light of the PGA Tour has done a lot to try to help grow um, the brands of these players, and I think uh, you know Commissioner Monahan is doing a um, fantastic job. Is he is he perfect? I, I don't. I only know of one perfect being in my entire. Uh, life and I never met the man. It was over two thousand years ago. So I am uh, quick to say I don't know what perfection looks like, but I also think that there's a lot of people who who buy into the Vince Lombardi model of you know strive for perfection in hopes of greatness. And I think you know what you see out of out of Monahan and what you see out of players on the on the on the pack is they're trying to figure out how to make the very best situation that they possibly can for players that are playing on the PGA Tour. And um, past that, I can't really comment on the other stuff because I don't know, candidly, anything else about it. Michael, you've been an advocate for years, I believe, about tour players getting appearance money for playing in tournaments, and I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. As we, as we see Monaghan making some changes, could this be a good change that comes out of all of this that we start to see the players at least get a little something if they show up for a tournament, go through the pro-ams, out there entertaining us on Thursday and Friday. Maybe it's not their best week of the of the season, but at least we, they've drawn us out there to go watch them play. Could they, Could we see 
you think that these guys might get a little something for showing up? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that they've, the, the PGA Tour has taken a lot of steps down that path. I think you see um, some of the, the payouts that are happening uh, to players that are sort of in that um, 125 range that they're getting uh, bonus pools at the end. So I think they've done that. Um, and, and what I would say and what I was an advocate of is, is what the PGA of America does and the PGA Championship Masters does it, USGA does it, and also the uh, RNA with um, uh, the, the Open Championship. If you qualify to play in these events, that even though you don't make the cut, you make some, you make some dollars. Some pay out five grand, some pay out ten grand, whatever, but they make, they do make money. And so, you know, that's been something that I've believed that the PGA Tour should do. And, um, I certainly think that they're, they're doing it, maybe not the week of the event, but certainly by the time the year is over, the, these players are getting compensated for their expenses that they, uh, incur when they go and play, be it at Travelers or wherever it may be. Michael, just a couple more before I let you go. And I was listening to you on your show this morning when uh, you were talking with Brad Baxton and asking him about Lexi Thompson's putting yeah. performance coming down the stretch on, on Sunday. It, I was rooting so hard for her to pull this thing off. And I got a little concerned on 14 when she made the bogey, but she makes a nice putt on 15 to come back. But then the you know, what we saw from her on 16 and 17, she sort of reminds me of rooting hard for Phil to win a U.S. Open back in the early 2000s. You just held your breath and thought, you know, you hoped yeah. that the train wreck didn't happen. What were your thoughts about what you saw from her over the last few holes? Well, I, I, I there are a lot of things. I think Lexi is a, a brilliant player, and I felt the exact same thing that, that you felt, all of us that were watching it felt the exact same thing, which was you're hoping that she makes it, but your brain, is, I mean, you can't watch it um, without thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to miss. And by the way, it's not like it's, you know, inside, I mean, she missed a one and a half foot or two foot putt. I mean, it was, it was very short. She never touched the hole. Um, there, there are a, a couple of thoughts, right? Obviously there's a compassion that you have that, you just you feel so bad for. At the same time, you know what what it does for me as a coach, and what I think to myself, and what I share with my students is, you have to find something that when you are nervous, allows you to perform. And she's gone to the claw grip, and that style grip doesn't seem to be able to take out these twitch muscles that she she has that are creating that. Now, look, there's no question that it's a mental thing, not a physical thing, but at the same time, the way back to mental strength sometimes is um, believing in what you're doing so wholeheartedly that you can't rationally figure out how you could miss a putt. And I think you've seen it with a number of players who have gone to the, the arm lock style or uh, left hand low or lead hand low. And I do think that at some point, Lexi's got to experiment with something in the in in the uh you know alternative to what she's doing right now because what I fear and we saw this at the US Open as well or the US Women's Open what I fear is is that this is going to continue until she finds the the um model to be able to help her right the ship and get through this and I think when she does do that and I believe she will 
then I think that there are not just one major, but many majors that are ahead of her. But she's got to find the, the, the key to allow her to be able to um, have the confidence to know that she can hit her target under pressure. And right now, it just looks like to me that she's just trying to move a ball, um, not try to hit a ball in a specific direction at a specific speed. Michael, one of the things that I've talked to my other two guests tonight, Nick O'Hearn and Dottie Pepper, about, one of the things that drives me crazy is the 12th hole at Augusta National. We were talking about, you know, guys going for the pin on 12 on Sunday, but even during the, you know, the other round. To me, the play is always over the bunker. And they sort of give you that sucker pin on Sunday where it's sitting right, right nicely out there on the right hand side. Guys go for that. And end up in Ray's Creek. Talk about, you know, why do guys insist? We've seen it happen badly for year, year after year. We saw in 2019 when Tiger won guys going in the, in the creek. We saw Cam Smith go in the creek. We've seen Jordan Spieth go in the creek. Why do guys continue to go at that pin when they know they don't need to do that? Um, I think it's a couple of things. I think one circumstances, uh, Speak to what you do. So I would uh, you can't make all situations the exact same, right? I mean, you're you're right. Uh, Kepka hit it in there, and Bolter hit it in there, and a lot of guys have done that, no question. Um, but the the circumstances are different. And what I would say is, is that it's very difficult to take an elite level player, put a nine iron or a wedge in their hand, and ask them to play away from a flag. Because they think that there's a possibility that they might not be able to to pull the shot off, and one of the things that that I know all too well is that um, these players that are the elite players that are out there on the PGA and LPGA tours, they're out there because they believe they can execute the shot, and most times they do. And so, what I would say is that it's a very difficult thing to take that that player who's playing great, by the way, it's not like they're coming in there. Like take Molinari. He was playing fantastic golf without question. And he hit a bad shot. Should he have played away from that? I I would say this. He could have played away from that. I don't know that he should have played away from that. And to that end, the other thing is, is that in your mind on a Sunday, you have seen so many of these failures. Right, that there's the competitive side of you, much the same way as reflect back to to when Phil Mickelson won at Augusta, and he's in the the pine straw on 13 with a uh, a club in his hand, and we're all debating whether he's going to lay up, and he's trying to figure out whether he's going to hit six iron or five iron at the flag. I, I just think there's a competitive nature that exists inside of every one of those players that says to them, "I can aim this thing." 12 feet or 10 feet to the left of that flag and be fine. And what ends up happening is, is that sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Michael, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing. First of all, listen to your show and then find you online and on social media. Yeah. So, uh, in, in every single place, it's just at Michael Breed. So, uh, they can find me there also too on Sirius XM. Um, um, I, I host a new breed of golf and, um, it is from eight to, to 10 a.m. 
Monday through Friday, and then we have best of shows that are on Saturday and Sunday on uh, on PGA Tour Radio, uh, Sirius uh, XM ninety two, and then also on on CBS. And uh, coming up um, this Sunday, I'll I'll have a half an hour show leading into uh, the PGA Tour coverage of the John Deere Classic, as well on on uh, CBS Sports Network every Monday. Um, you can find me there on a new breed of golf. So I'm kind of all over the the place. Um, and I appreciate obviously all the things that you're doing, Chris, and, and, uh, working as hard as you have worked to try to, uh, fit me into the, into the schedule. I know I have a crazy schedule and, and you do as well. And I appreciate your patience and, uh, and also inviting me, uh, to, to do it and finally being able to work it out. And what I would say to you is thank you for all you're doing for the game of golf. You know how, how uh, big I believe in, in growing this game, and, and uh, it's little things like what we do, what you do, that uh, gets people interested in the game, provides insight, and also um, the stories that you tell, and, and uh, we certainly appreciate it. Those that are fans, we certainly appreciate it, and I do as well, so thank you for all you do. Well, I appreciate that very much, Michael. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to to come back and be a part of the show. I hope I get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime real soon. I look forward to that as well, Chris. Thank you. Take care, Michael. All the best to you and your family. All right. Thanks, Chris. All the best to you. Thanks. Thanks, Michael. Bye-bye. That's the great Michael Breed, folks. And like I say, nobody does it better than Michael does. His shows... uh are outstanding. His, you know, his positivity is the thing that made me gravitate towards him. And, uh, he's done a great job both on the radio shows, on the TV shows, and then what he puts out on social media. He's a huge credit to the game. We're all lucky to have him in it. And like I say, I hope I get the privilege of having him back on the show again before too long. Okay, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again to Dottie Pepper, Nick O'Hearn, and Michael Breed for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick, will be back, plus two other of the top instructors in the game, Bob Grissett and Christian Sheehan, will be here, plus Kyle Groth of Whiskers Golf will be making his next On the Tee debut. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcast app out there. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast.co, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean. If you've got a favorite podcasting app, we're probably on that one too. Just type in next on the T in the search bar. You'll probably find us on there. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to see what our upcoming guest schedule looks like. Plus, we give you links back to recent episodes and individual guest segments. So whether you got 20 minutes or two hours, we've got some great golf content on there for you as well. Folks, I can't thank you all again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I know you've got a lot of great golf podcasts out there to choose from. I am very thankful that you're making Next on the Tee one of them. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.